First Timothy chapter 5, just read beautifully a moment ago, very crystal clear, grateful for that. And um, we're, we're going to be talking about elders today. And elders are a great topic at a preacher's meeting. You ever get a bunch of preachers together? They like to break out in discussions of elders. And today I get to do that. I've got a microphone on me, and, uh, and, and I get to talk about what do we do with these men called elders. And right now I see eight fidgeting, nervous men wondering what the preacher is going to say. Yes, you could fire me, but only after I say it. So I've got you where I want you, and so now I'm going to say what God has to say about this. Now, we talked about this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, about the qualities of these men, and you thought, well, we're done with it, but Paul has to come around to it and say, Timothy, we've got to talk about this a little more. There's not many places that can have a better discussion of this. We know more about the Ephesus church than we do any other church in the New Testament, and we know more about their elders than almost any other church. Paul probably had a hand himself in selecting these elders. He was there for three years early in their history, and so he probably had a hand in this. But we also know that when he came back around a little later, close to Ephesus and Miletus, he thought, this is going to be the last time I'm anywhere near these men, and he calls them in Acts chapter 20, he calls them to himself down at Miletus and says, I want to I have a powwow with you because I'm never going to see you again. And I've got some concerns and I've got some things to share with you. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. This is your job. You guys keep watch over God's people. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has selected you to be an overseer. Do you believe the Holy Spirit put these eight men at Valley View over us? You believe that? Randy, do you believe the Holy Spirit put you there? I do too. It's weird, isn't it? You know, the Spirit is trying to direct you and lead you. And one of the ways the Holy Spirit matures every one of us in this congregation is through the men he puts over us. These guys are not there by accident, and they're not there just by flippant choice. The Holy Spirit makes them overseers, which really fills them with humility and fills them with this weight over what they're trying to do, which is why it takes a long time to make that decision. It's not a casual decision that men make. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Here's what God says. These people he looks at these elders and he says, these people right here that come to Valley View, I purchase them with my son's blood. I love these people and I want you to oversee them. Guys, I can't tell you what that must put on them, the seriousness of that. And I know Paul's saying this on purpose. I know he's absolutely filling them with a sense of responsibility to watch what they're doing. I know that after I leave, Paul says, uh, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. I know, y'all, that there's danger coming. I know there's false doctrines coming around. I know there's false teachers coming around. And I know it's going to afflict the church at Ephesus where you are, even from your own number. Men are going to rise up and teach falsehood. Even from the elders themselves, can I tell you something that's a sad truth? 
just because the Holy Spirit puts these men and leaders over us doesn't mean they can't go bad. Just because the Spirit has directed for these men to be over us doesn't mean they can't go bad, right? That's clear from Acts chapter 20. That's what we know, and we know that it exactly did happen this way because as Timothy is there in Ephesus now, kept there by Paul, he's having to deal with some of these elders and other people who have come in and taught false things, and he's having to clean up the mess. And so he knows the significance of an elder. He also knows the danger that can be in the elders. So in this section that we enter now, he gives them three pieces of advice and we're going to take this section backwards i want you to join with me near the end of it in verse 22 do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others keep yourself pure verse 23 about the wine and all that stuff we're going to skip that verse come back to it later the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment the sins of others appear later and so are the good works they're conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Here's the first one. Take your time when you select an elder. Be patient when selecting elders. Don't rush in and think, well, I've got the right person. Let's just put a bunch of people in there. Be very patient with the process of selecting elders I think we're given a clue to this whenever he talked about the qualifications or qualities of an elder. Like, for instance, chapter 3, verse 6, this person must not be a recent convert. If someone became a Christian and they're on fire and they seem so serious and they, see, seem, they seem to be taking all this with the uttermost seriousness, even then, give it some time, church. Give it some time. Because are, are you aware of people who start strong but can't finish? People who, who man, they, they, they are on fire. They absolutely seem to be, man, they're taking off and they're really going to get here. So, but, but then something happens. You remember the parable of Jesus about the seeds? Some of them grow up and sprout up and it looks like, man, that's going to produce something. And then suddenly they just kind of die on the vine. Do you know people like this? Don't make a new convert an elder because the moment you make a person who has very little real experience with the Christian life an elder, it will go to their head and it will mess them up and they'll do irreparable damage to the church. So don't make it a new convert. It takes time for spiritual maturity to happen to where you have a depth that's required of an elder. He also says in chapter 3, verse 7, he says he must have a good reputation with people who aren't part of the church. They're, they have a good name and a good reputation outside the church with people who have nothing to do with the church. You know what this means? You know, there are some people, I know this never happens at Valley View because we're a good church, but there are some people who are good at church, but when they go and they leave the church and they go to another setting, they ain't so good. It seems so serious about their faith, so concentrated about their faith when they're at church, but you, you find them outside the church in another setting, and you wonder where, what happened to that faith between the door of the church building and where they are, because it doesn't translate. 
they're one way here and another way over here. I know that doesn't happen here, but that happens. And he says, so when you're about to choose somebody, don't just ask other people of the church about them. Don't just ask people who see them at church buildings in our walls. Don't just ask them. Go out there and ask the people who interact with them in different settings and have for many years. Ask them about them. Do a little bit of undercover research. Because it's not all just about what, what you see here. Now, he invests this with a little extra oomph when he says, Timothy, if you put someone in who's not ready to be an elder and he does harm, that's on you. The responsibility comes back to you. You are sharing in the responsibility, the consequences of their sin. You have sinned by putting someone in who had no business being in. So don't, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. Don't put people in too fast. Why? What's the big deal? And I'll say two things at the end of this passage. Number one, some people are less spiritual than you think they are. There are people less spiritual than you think they are. When you look at them at church, when you see them in your limited exposure to them, it just looks so impressive. They have the right language and they sing the, the right way at the songs and they, and they seem to handle scripture pretty well and they seem to interact with people pretty well and they look so impressive. But it takes time for reality sometimes to bubble out. So people who seem to have a grasp of spiritual maturity, their sins sometimes get covered over, and you don't discover real quickly what those uncontrolled sins of their lives are like. So be careful thinking you know when you're not around them very much. Guys, the great, you know what's weird about this? Spirituality in church is one of the easiest things to fake. Spirituality in church is one of the easiest things to fake. So watch somebody. Be careful. But here's a second caveat, which I like this one a whole lot better. Some people are more spiritually mature than you think. You come to church and you see them and you think, oh, they're just kind of unassuming. They don't do a whole lot. They don't, maybe they don't get up here and publicly do a bunch of stuff. Maybe, maybe you don't see them hitting the press very often. And LeVon doesn't have a picture of them from Facebook anywhere because they're not really on Facebook. They quietly live their Christian lives. And you just assume they're, well, they, they, they. But wait a while. Suddenly you start hearing the good that they're doing in different places. Suddenly you start seeing their fingerprints in other places. They don't sell themselves, they don't stand out, and they don't call attention to themselves, but they have a good grasp of the spiritual things of their lives, and those things start coming up. I call them kind of like secretly good people, right? I might call them sneaky good people. Do you know sneaky good people? that just notoriously we underestimate them. When it comes time for elders, we think, who's that business leader in the community? And he wears that tie, and he talks so impressively, and he thinks, seems to have things together, and the whole community considers them worthwhile of being honored. We think, well, they make a good elder, but a farmer over here in overalls who drives a tractor all day. And you don't think about him because he doesn't have the press everybody has. But when you look at the spiritual maturity of these two, this guy is years ahead of this guy over here. Because, but you don't know it. He's doing things out there. You never even have a clue until somebody starts talking about it. We've got people like this at Valley View, by the way. 
Randall Hooten is one of them. I mean, he, he talks very low-key. I mean, you could easily talk over him. Or when Paul is in the presence of him, Paul's talking so much you never hear Randall. Can you imagine that? Can anybody imagine that happening? And because of that, you think Randall's just not, no. Listen, he's a secret gem here. He's one of those guys that, hey, you, you just, you go ahead and underestimate him. Go ahead and underestimate him. He is going to come out of the woodwork and surprise you and shock you. And you're going to be, well, there's more depth there than I ever thought. Tony Pearson's another one. No, no, he's trying to throw it off with all his corny humor or whatever. He's as solid as a rock. I know, I know, it shocks you, doesn't it? That's what I'm saying. It's a surprise under the current, right? Under the ice or whatever. We've got people like this. Don't just assume that what you see is what you get. Sometimes you get a whole lot more than what you see. And it takes time for that stuff to rise up to the So be careful. Be careful when that whole eldership discussion comes on. Well, they never, no, no, look around because they're doing stuff. They're just not tooting their own horn all the time. And you don't see it, and that doesn't get the press, but it's big. We got people like this. We got people like this. Now, here's another thing. It's not in the text. I'm going to veer off for just one minute and ten seconds. That's all it's going to cost you. No extra offering going to be passed around. Deacons are their own positions of integrity. They are not elders in training. We're not trying them until they can get old enough to be elders. That's not true. They are their own function, and they are vitally important and need to be respected in their own turn. Elders are their own. When it comes time to choose elders, you don't necessarily say, who do we promote up from deacon? There's no promote up from deacon. It's over, kind of like preachers and youth ministers. It's an over. It's not an up thing. It's an over thing. It's just a different role. And there are some deacons that prove themselves to be kind of like elder material. Can I tell you, though? Some aren't. Some don't need to be. They need to be deacons because that is their thing, and that, that deserves its own honor. And also, I'll tell you this. There are some elders over the years, I've noticed, that really are still deacons. They're really functioning as deacons, and they were great deacons, and sometimes we thought, well, we need to promote them as elder, and they come up, and they continue to deke. They continue to deke. They aren't really elding. They're deking. But for some reason, because they serve so long as deacon, that we think it's just time to transition them. This is not like a, this is not like a ladder. That's what I think we've treated over the years. It's not. If you're a good deacon... I want to honor you just for being a deacon. You're not on your way to anything. You're just on your way to heaven serving in that capacity, and we love it. And if you're an elder, you don't have to serve as a deacon first. You might, but you don't have to, and it's not just a natural transition. You do the elder thing because we've, we've seen something about you that makes you qualified to be an elder, and the rules are different. The roles are different. And I'll just say that I've been to so many elders' meetings, I felt like it should be a deacon's meeting. Quit doing that. You, let them deacon, you guys eld, and let's get this thing going, right? And so that's why it takes time. That's why it takes, I spent a whole lot more time than that, so I'm going to take it from something else. Second point, he says, after first fall, before you choose an elder, take time doing it. Secondly, you honor those who do a good job. And so look at verse 17 where it started. Let the elders who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor, right? Let those who rule well, who do their job, 
well. Now, there's some that are weller than others, right? Some people have more, more obvious uh, responsibilities than others. But let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is teaching and preaching. For the Scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. We need to be honoring these men. They do a good work. It's a lot of work that you don't see. It's a lot of work you never even know. A lot of meetings back there that are so burdensome, necessary, it's part of the deal, but man, I'm telling you, hours that they will try to figure out what to do about things. And then they take criticism a lot. Well, why didn't you do this or that about this or that? Or you see that person over, why didn't you do that? And what you don't know is they can't act on sheer suspicion. They've got to act on what they know. And so they're handcuffed by what they know and can prove. We can talk about and evaluate them based on whatever we hear on any basis we want to and say whatever we want to about what we would do. We have no idea we're not in that role. This is just kind of one of those thankless roles, that part of it. That's not all they do, though. But he seems to say this. He said, you, you guys, it is on us. It is on us as a church. These people are over us, and part of God's training of us is our submission to these men. And when they do a good job and we recognize it and the stability of the church is clear, we need to honor and thank and appreciate them for all they do here. It's part of what makes you who you become. And if you don't submit in the proper way, you're not developing as God wants you to. Because that's your responsibility to them. And he says, especially, especially those whose work is teaching and preaching. Now, this means, right, this is particularly important. Uh, all the elders should be able to teach. We know some have a gift of teaching better than others, perhaps. But those who can give time to teaching and preaching, they should even be paid for that if that is their role. If they put that much time into it, if our elders put that much time in, putting them, paying them for their time, nothing wrong. That's what he says here, right? If they devote time to it, then they should be paid for it. That brings up a couple of things. He quotes an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy. The ox deserves his wages, which means, okay, so we got different words for elders. We've got shepherd, we've got overseer, presbyter, bishop, and now we have ox. Paul says, you know that ox back there in Deuteronomy? That's an elder. That's what he says. So that when you walk out today, here's how I want you to honor our elders. I want you to look at Terry. I want you to look at Wes and Paul and Randy and say, Ox Rand, thank you for your service. And Ox Wesley, because that's what he says. He compares them to an ox. That's, now, I can say that, but if you look up where else that verse is used, it could be extended beyond that, and I don't want to go there. I just want to stay here with the elders. The elders are oxen. They are oxen who are working for this congregation. They deserve their wages. But it also would say this. Um, the, probably the best arrangement is for one of the elders to also be the preacher. That seems to be what he's saying here, and that's like the top notch, right? I would never want to do that. I know people who do that, uh, but it just kind of creeps me out a little bit. But the idea is it would be wonderful to have a preaching elder 
That's what Paul says. And they need to be honored for this. So we, we need to honor them. There's one last thing. Oh, uh, before we leave this point. It, I don't know if you have a reference Bible, but if you do, you'll know that he quotes Deuteronomy in order to support this, this ox working to... He deserves his wages. But there's another verse that he quotes to support that. The worker deserves his wages. Can anybody tell where that passage comes from? Do you have a study Bible that says it? The worker deserves his wages. Luke 10. Paul here calls Luke Scripture. Now, for those of you who are like, well, duh. Yeah, we know that now, right? But those apologetics people try to figure out when exactly did the Gospels earn the right of being called Scripture. Well, Paul here, and he died somewhere around 64, 65 to 68, Paul here is already calling Luke that he's aware of Scripture. And that's a rich thing to realize. These authoritative teachings of the church were authoritative very early. Now, in truth, the moment they wrote them, they were Scripture. The question is, When were they recognized as Scripture? And Paul here already very early is saying, those things Luke says and was written, they're Scripture. That's a really helpful thing for those of you who are apologetics. For those of you who don't, you can wake back up now. We go on to the last point. And that is this. These men, you must take your time in choosing them. These men need to be honored well for their work. But third, these men need to be held accountable. They are held accountable to the same standard of behavior Every Christian is to honor from the Word. And if any question arises, then there's a process you go through to address it. And we're going to look at it now in verse 20, or verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you, keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. In the event an elder does something wrong, what should happen? He goes back to Deuteronomy, and I'm going to quote, we put this on the screen because I want you to notice this. Two sections of this are really related to our passage. One witness is not enough to convict anyone. This is not just an elder. This is the way you handle life, church. This is how we handle each other. Any witness or one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. There's no he he says, she says stuff in the church and God's people. You're to have witnesses. And if you don't have two or three witnesses, then you just dismiss it. One person can't just randomly make up something against somebody else. And certainly, you can't write an anonymous letter to them. You can't write some letter about you've done this or that or this or that and not sign your name to it. Can I tell you where that needs to go? File 13, which is this round circular container by your desk with a trash, can hang, a trash bag hanging out of it. That's where that goes. If you cannot share your name, you cannot share your concern. If you cannot share your name, you cannot share your concern. That's what he's saying. And this is about everybody. This is not just about elders. This is in Deuteronomy. This is how I want it to work in the community of God. 
He goes on to say in this next paragraph, he says, whoever is, is on trial, and this is where there's a one-on-one -on -one thing. If you are bearing witness falsely against somebody else, and the investigation proves it, you get the penalty you were seeking from this guy. So if you bear witness, this guy killed somebody, and you're going for a life, a capital crime and a life, and it, you are proven wrong, your life is taken. That's how serious this is. I don't want spurious anonymous rumors scattering around hurting people. Next screen. Here's how he ends it. This judge makes a determination and all that stuff. Look at the end of it. The rest of the people, when they see you dying for lying, <laughs> when they see you dying for lying, that would be really fun. I mean, you think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. When the, in the early church, when they died for lying, when they were dying for lying, it says the church was terrified as well they should be. What happens in communion today if everybody who's lied this week falls out dead? Would you not leave going, I believe I'm going to tell the truth this week? Would you not? If three people in your pew pass away during the communion, would you not really like be careful this week? So he says, the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done to you. This is a deterrent, he says. Now, I've got two ways to view this, and you can choose whatever you want because either way ends the same way. Either, next screen if you would, just, just so I don't make, Jesus also addresses Deuteronomy 19 and Matthew 18. You don't need two or three witnesses necessarily, but the question is, does this require that unless I have two other people that witness this elder doing something wrong, I can't bring it up at all? Is that what it's saying? Because it sure sounds like it. And it would say that none of us can really take action with it unless two or three saw it. But when Jesus takes it, he would say this. If one person saw it, one witness experienced this wrong from an elder and gets two people who will agree to go witness the process that he takes, goes into the presence of this elder one-on-one -on -one with these two witnesses. Their only, role, their only role is to watch how this works, to give some accountability to it. And this person confronts the elder with these two witnesses assuming he did not do this already privately and take care of it. That's step number one. Step number two, you take two witnesses to watch this process and show them that it's more important than just the two of them. And then only at the third step do you then take it to the church, right? So can one person who thinks Randy Carlton did them wrong, can that one person go to Randy and discuss it? Yes, they can. And in fact, they should. Now, there's two things I want to say about this. If you do not share it with him, don't share it with anybody. Share it with him or share it with no one. If you want to just absorb it and say, I forget about it and I'm not going to worry, fine, but don't talk about it to anybody else. Share it with him or don't share it with anybody. But I really encourage you to share it with him. He needs to hear it. He needs to know the impact of his behavior on somebody else. And can I tell you, elders, if anybody brings it to you, do, do not stand over them in intimidation. Don't use your position to intimidate or to strike fear. They are terrified enough to bring this before an elder. No one wants to do this. No one wants to do this. So you elders need to be approachable. You guys need to be willing to very humbly receive this and not respond in anger or frustration or, or just want to lash out. You need, you guys need to. So the elders need to be approachable 
And we need to be approach willing. That's the word. Willing to approach and they're approachable. And can I tell you this? I know nobody believes me. You're going to just dismiss me and you're going to disregard me immediately just like people do Jesus. If you will do this one-on-one, 99.999% of all conflict evaporates in step number one. It goes away. Do you know why? The elders feel very somberly their responsibility, and they will listen to you, and they will discuss with you, and you come, will come to some sort of understanding of what happened, and either it will be admitted and forgotten, or it will be explained away, and it will be done. Please take Jesus at his word. Please do Matthew 18. Saves the whole community. The only time it can ever get any further than this, according to what Paul says, and notice this, this is the only time you take public action. Look at verse 20. As for those who persist in sin... Whether you took one or you had three witnesses, it doesn't matter. When you do that, it's all done privately, and it's never known by anybody else, and everybody's better off because of it. But if the elder, for whatever reason, persists in doing the sin, if he keeps doing it, I don't know whether he even acknowledged it or whether he considers it sin or not, but if he keeps doing this sin, it needs to be brought to the church, and he needs to be rebuked. Now, it doesn't say what that rebuke is. I have no idea. I have no idea what a rebuke is. But certainly, in my opinion, this is Spencer chapter 1, verse 13. Okay, this is not Scripture. He cannot be an elder anymore. That's the rebuke. At least he cannot be an elder if he persists in this sin and the reason you bring it before the church is two things it's a deterrent it makes the elders other elders fearful it makes the rest of the members fearful if this is what happens when we persist in sin we ought not to persist in sin it's a deterrent and the second thing is because God is watching Jesus is watching the elect angels, those angels whose job it is to oversee God's people. Those angels are watching, intently interested in the purity of the church. It's not just a deterrent for you. It's keeping the church as pure as God wants it to be in Christ. And we must do it. I don't think this will ever happen here. But the fact that it's in Scripture means if it does, we know what to do. So God is serious about this. He is serious about getting you to eternity with Him. He is serious about His church. Listen, you have been bought at a great price through the blood of Jesus. And then He puts you into community and puts over you spiritual, godly men to lead us to get there. It's great to, to have arrived at your desire for it, but there's a space, there's a time between when you've chosen to be with God and when you're actually there. And you could lose your salvation in that meantime, and He puts shadows over you. To help get you there. Because he wants you bad. And these elders are one tool God uses to get us there. So this morning I want you to know that. I, I, I'm not aware of any conflict with these guys. So I don't 
that's not an immediately applicationable, appliable message from this message. We're not really looking for elders, so that be patient while you look. At first sight, it looks like that's not an application, but it is. We are always looking for elders. Always. We may not be in the process of identifying them and making one. We are always looking for people who are spiritually doing those things that lead people. So are always doing that. But there's a third thing, and that is we need to honor these guys. We need to make them know we appreciate the tasks that they're doing. We appreciate the gravity of it and the seriousness of it and the, and the time of it and, and the burdenness of it and the prayerfulness of it that they invest in us. We have eight men praying for us every week. We have eight men trying to look at the best things to be possible to nurture us. We need to show appreciation. So today, as they walk out, I challenge you to do this. I challenge you to walk up to Danny and say, Oxen Danny. Seriously, I want you to do that. I just want to hear it a few times in the foyer. I just want to hear the word oxen applied to our elders in the foyer. I just want to. I just think that would be so much fun. So do that. Come up to these elders. Call them oxen respectfully and thank them for what they do and let's be a church known for appreciating those God has put over us to get us until we are with him the shepherd and overseer of our souls that's what being family at Valley View is it's what coming up the hill means for us And I hope that that is something that you value. Those of you who maybe have never responded to the gospel, let me say this. None of this makes any sense to you because you don't need a shepherd. You are a sheep without a shepherd right now, and you're in dire straits. You're in trouble. You need Christ most of all. And this morning, we'd love to lead you to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And And then if you decide this is where you want to be to worship, you have eight shepherds over you many deacons serving you, many people who are going to love you. And this morning, that's the great reason, that's one great reason to be part of the family of God. If you've never responded, now's a good time to do so. If you have, and you've come out from under the oversight of the elders, and you've gone AWOL from the authority God places in your life, it's a great correction, even publicly this morning. Not necessarily publicly, but it could be. It could be for your circumstance. You decide, I want to be down here, and I want, to, I want to put myself back under the leadership of someone else. God's put you there. If you've come out from under it, it's not God's will. You've gone AWOL, and it's time to come back to the flock. This morning, whatever move you need to make, make it known now as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.